You are listening to the ESG in Property podcast, where we interview the industry's leading experts who deliver the world's most innovative real estate products, services, buildings, and businesses. Join us as we extract key advice that you can adopt for personal and professional success. With your hosts, Jordan Ralph and Adam Hines from Life Proven ESG Property Company. Hello, 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 and welcome to the ESG in Property podcast. You are here with Adam Hines and my co-host Jordan Ralph from the Life Proven ESG Property Company. And today we're diving into an incredibly innovative topic and real estate solution called fractional ownership of real estate assets using blockchain technology. And to hold our hand through the future of real estate ownership is the dynamic duo, Michelle de Havilland and Poonet Thacker from Blackgate, powered by Fraction. Welcome. Again. Welcome both. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. Hey, so. guys. Lovely to, lovely to meet you. Um, so let's get straight into, into proceedings. Um, so obviously it's a, a great introduction to you both. Um, and delighted to have you, have you on this episode. So it'd be great, Michelle, maybe to start with you on your personal and professional background, kind of your journey from property and obviously we, we just spoke a minute ago about how paths have crossed many years ago from when you're at Sotheby's but to, to where you are now at, at um, um yeah thanks thanks for having us on first of all and um, I'm excited to be here I think the this area of of the property sector is is where where all the innovation is going to be in the future and pretty much most things will be tokenized and fractionalized so it's a really timely conversation to have in terms of where I've come from, I used to be a management consultant specializing in technology, in fact, in the built environment, and then moved to, to the development side. Um, so I worked on about 55 projects around the world and literally from one end of the earth to the other. So um, I always say like from Melbourne to Mumbai and from Miami to uh, Montreal and everything, which we, uh, and Moscow, we'll add another one in there. <laughs> so I did some all, stuff in Russia. All the M's. All the M's. Um, uh, and I did a bit in Brazil as well. Uh, there's no M I can think of. Anyway, but um, I worked on a number of developments, uh, about 55, mostly towers, whether they be mixed use or resi. So in London, those include things like the Shard, uh, the Walkie Talkie when I was at Landsec. Um, and then I suppose about six years ago, oh, about eight years ago, I worked for Sotheby's. I was the managing director there. Um, and then I left after a couple of years because I wanted to really focus my business on just beyond prime, prime residential. And I set up Blackgate. And Blackgate's primary focus was to provide kind of unique investment opportunities in real estate for high net worth clients or investment funds or REITs, et cetera. So I'm kind of agnostic in terms of sector and agnostic in terms of, of client. But what I've always focused on throughout my career is on how we can bring new innovation into the real estate sector. And I think our industry is slow, in a word. It's very slow at new tech adoption. And I think, you know, the problem with our, or the good thing and the bad thing about us, our sector is it's, it's a victim of its own success. So because it's, it makes so much money and it kind of has a, a slow process by its inherent nature of construction, it doesn't really need to change because it's successful in creating what it's already done for hundreds of years. So when you come up with new ideas, and that can be even things like, I remember when I was at Landsec and we had the first digital interactive model 
to showcase a scheme down in Victoria, um, down in Westminster, to showcase our master plan for that area. And by having an interactive model, that was kind of mind-blowing. It's the stuff we take for granted now. If you go down to Barclay Home Schemes, you see their interactive models and we take it for granted. But, you know, when I was there, whatever that was, about 15, 12 years ago, that was completely new. And trying to push that through as an innovation was challenging. So I'm very, I'm very conscious right now that what we're talking about is such a massive step change for our sector. And, and so it takes a little bit of handholding and a little bit of education. And frankly, I can't do that on my own. And I was so pleased when I met Punet because not only is he like the god of fintech, but you know he was Mister Number Two in PayPal, and I'll let him talk about his experience. But I, the minute I've always seen that the next evolution of real estate would come from a new financial instrument or a new mechanism for that. And so what we've been working on with Fraction is the ability to essentially tokenize, and we'll talk a bit later about what that means, and fractionalize ownership. And, and in a phrase that I like to use, it's about the democratization of investment into real estate. Because if you look at where Punit comes from, he's from India, I'm from South Africa. One of the things that is that we have seen by working in, in whether it be prop tech, fintech, investment, real estate, is that these high value assets and high yielding and high performing transactional models have always been the domain of a very small group of people for a high net worth client. And what we would like to see is greater access for everyone and anywhere in any currency. So, you know, I think that that is really what we're trying to do. So if you are in China and you want to buy property in Paris, we can do that and we can buy it. You can buy it in any currency and you could do it now. There's not like 70,000 loops and it's a safe transaction. Um, so that's kind of what has spearheaded our kind of new initiative. Pretty, pretty epic and lots to unpick and all of that in a, in a moment. I'm really keen for you just dropped in there and then carried on. It was like it very normal that it was uh, Punet's um, experience at PayPal as employee number two. So um, Punet, over to you to, to give us an introduction to who you are and, and what, what you've been doing. Absolutely. So firstly, thank you so much, guys, for hosting us. It's always a pleasure to speak with like-minded people and discuss and share the vision. So my journey started as a hardcore developer. I started coding ISO 8583 and a lot of jazz, especially in terms of Java uh, for banking applications and software. Back those days, uh, started working at PayPal India, uh, built PayPal India, uh, of course, from zero when, when there's a lot of interesting things happening at PayPal back those days. I worked with a lot of fintech companies, including uh, Checkout as an early founding team, also Paytabs, Teller. So have been in the payment processing world for the last 15 odd years. Reached to a point where being number two, number two, number two everywhere was not something which I was enjoying because there was no skin in the game. And uh, being a part of a larger ship, or a larger ocean, as people say, with a small drop uh, was not something which I was enjoying. And that's where I chose to become an entrepreneur. While I had failed in many entrepreneurship journeys before, uh, back in my college days, because I was not matured enough to handle that kind of pressure. But uh, eventually, I, I sold one of my uh, company, which had 13 patents back those days, uh, in my college days, to one of the largest uh, electrical company. So fast forward, uh, stopped coding, focused on product, then built a business and then focused on M&A strategy. 
uh, worked with one of the uh, built my own uh, Web3 bank, which just got acquired uh, last year and uh, focused on building fraction because that was something which I was very, very passionate about. Now, that mainly was focusing on tokenizing real world assets. Uh, when you talk about real world assets, it includes, of course, real estate, but not only real estate. You also talk about any assets which people cannot afford uh, to buy a complete one. And then this particular assets essentially in the Swiss world is called securitization, where you kind of securitize this particular asset. And we actually started focusing on real world assets, which includes a carbon ecosystem. And I'm glad that you talk about ESG because we also have built a carbon bank, which not only helps you to achieve a net zero goal, uh, but it also gives an, uh, an emitter to buy uh, carbon credits in such a way that the entire system is on uh, fractionalized as well as tokenized on blockchain. Uh, more importantly, we wanted to essentially create an ecosystem and that's where I met Michelle. More importantly, to focus on not only from a real estate perspective, but I love the way she thinks, especially where uh, the conventional legacy-based infrastructures and and thought process and uh, i i really felt that you know this is one of the essential needs in the market where a particular end user which probably is an investor but uh, can even invest up to a one cent to fractionalize a particular property to fractionalize a particular token for carbon or to even fractionalize music so instead of we creating that ecosystem and getting all the licenses and and basically become an investment vehicle we started focusing more on the entire ecosystem which is called as token as a service where you basically start building an enterprise middleware and you create smart contracts which essentially helps you to not only fractionalize a particular asset but also tokenize that on blockchain so so long story short, uh, we basically, I've been in the fintech world for a long time, a crypto adopter back in 2014, when I invested my first Bitcoin, when it was $123, sold it, converted to a feather coin and lost all my money. And then realized that you know, all the money which I lost uh, would have been, uh, would have made me much more powerful, but I'm happy that I learned from my mistakes, failed fast and, uh, mainly focused on building a big impact. Awesome. Can I um, ask you both, maybe if we go back a step, I think for, for those that are listening, um, is, is to give a bit of a, an overview as to um, the tokenization approach to kind of explain, you know, the fractionalization. I think there's some, some amazing things in there. Separately in a minute is to come back to this carbon credit system and the, the carbon banks. I think that's hugely relevant and, and important at the moment, but maybe just give a, maybe simple kind of real world examples of how this how this works well i think just just before we i'm going to actually let uh Punit talk to that question but before i do i just want to say something that i think just validates why we're doing this so i'm going to read you a quote from larry fink who is the ceo of blackrock and he said the next generation for markets and in fact the next generation for securities will be tokenization so don't take my word for it, you know, take Larry Fink's word for it. So you don't have to believe me, you don't have to believe Punit, but you have to believe Larry Fink, you know, and I think that says quite a lot. 
So what we're about to explain to you is not something that will happen. It is something that is happening. So you either get on or you get left behind. So I think as a sector, we have an opportunity right now as a real estate sector. And to, to put it to point, this is not a real estate solution. This is a solution for any any uh, fixed world asset. So that could be art. You know, again, I'm from Southern, the world of Sotheby's. So, you know, to me, the fact that auction houses haven't adopted this yet is criminal, frankly, um, because it's such an it's such an obvious application. When you sell a bottle of wine, whether you sell an artwork, we can pixelate an artwork so that you can actually buy pixels. So in terms of the value of an of an actual Monet, for example. Anyway, I'll, I'll let Puna talk to you about the, the exactly what is tokenization and what is fractionalization, because these are quite new terms for real estate people, and I think that will help. But I just want to I just want to front end that with that this is something that is happening. It is real, and it's not just a pipe dream. And it's kind of like if you want to if you want to stay relevant in five years, this is kind of like when people had websites. So, you know, you either got one right up front or your company went bust like Topshop. So you get on board or you're going to you're going to get left behind. So um, to that end, uh, Puna, do you want to talk? I think you're probably better placed to talk about the actual technical aspects of what is fractionalization, what is tokenization and then lead into the carbon bank component. Absolutely. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Misha, what what you exactly portrayed the picture that uh, the tokenization market is obviously not only evolving, but you know people talk about a CAGR of nineteen percent, right? Globally, so the tokenization market back last year was close to two point nine billion dollars. You're talking about a market which can grow up to a ten to twelve billion dollars only from a real estate perspective, right? Now, when you specifically focus on crypto, right? Uh, there was a there's an evolution of crypto when you know the web one started you have a specific company which used to do paper-based shares or demat accounts web 2 started where you basically can create an ecosystem on a centralized aspect like by exchanging coins or swapping and web 3 was the new evolution where everything on decentralization started decentralization finance decentralized exchanges and essentially focusing everything on an ecosystem where uh, the maker checker are, are basically a decentralized autonomous organization without really getting into the centralization aspect one is because it's not only uh, it's not only uh, not very efficient but it basically brings more scalability brings more power in terms of uh, the the blockchain angle so so that's where you know the ideas came into perspective and thanks to the entire team because essentially what the the team specializes was web3 and you're talking about people who are not only passionate about fintech but uh, the main problem area which we started solving was how to slice and dice the ecosystem now you can essentially call this as a, a particular fractional uh, ownership which is which has been happening right when someone says do you want to partner and buy a property half half and you basically say you know what you own 50 percent, i own 50 percent oh. can, can i actually inter interrupt there Pana, just to give that in a world world in a uk-based environment we have shared ownership here in, in this country which is like a government-backed scheme right where the government half owns your property so we already have a fractionalized component that we already use as the government intervention when you talk about shared ownership so that is what fractionalization is it's the subdivision it's kind of 
co-buying. And so what we're, we're doing, we're fractionalizing and we're just taking it down to even smaller value, values or smaller components. Um, so I'm sorry to cut across you, but I just thought that might be a, a useful explanation that people perhaps understand. And just to add to that very quickly, Michelle, I, I presume we're on the, the same wavelength here around. So Jordan and I, for example, have an, an investment portfolio, um, which is a limited company that Jordan is 50% owner of, I am a 50% owner of. So it, it, are we saying that's how it would technically be split? And if we wanted to bring more people in, we could in a much more efficient, effective way than having to muck around with business that's, structures, shareholders. That's exactly right. So essentially it's a shareholding structure. So you essentially, yeah. you're, 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 instead of like you would have, like let's say it was a Cayman based or UK company based and you have a series of shareholders. It's essentially the same concept. So it's something it's so that's why for me, it's always quite strange that it's not that people are so reticent because it's actually a format we're all quite familiar with shareholding structures. The, but the difference is here, you've got a you've got a, a liquidity in that because the problem with the shareholding structure. So using you and Jordan as an example, if one of you wants to leave, you have to kind of come to an agreement of how that works and what the company's worth. And does someone buy the other person out? Whereas in a blockchain environment, you can buy, you can leave with your shares, but not devalue the actual core asset because the asset is still based on the real world value of the property or the entity or the company or whatever it is. So you've got more liquidity, but I'm jumping ahead here. Sorry, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to interject the whole component that, that the kind of share structure is something we're actually all quite familiar with. Um, it will come back i'm sure <laughs> but you know it's a share structure that we're all familiar with which is a shared ownership so i think when we talk about fractionalization that is really what we mean it's a sharing of an ownership but that can be broken down into any number of volumes or values so if you're buying a property so uh let's say the property is worth a million just for easy maths and you divide it by 10 people at 100,000, then you've got 10 shares, essentially, at 100,000 each. But that could also, likewise, be broken down into, just as Punit mentioned, up down to a penny a share. So there, there's yeah. a, it's a scalable program, and not every share has to have the equal value. So it's a very much like a company share structure. So this is, but what that means is that increasingly, where, where um, you know, uh, interest rates are super high and people's access to market becomes increasingly challenging. Perhaps you can't afford to buy a property on your own or even with the bank of mom and dad to support you. Perhaps you need to go in with a shareholding structure and then you can also see the upside on that as a kind of collective, right? So that collective, you know, we talk about, I mean, the whole co-concept in real estate is so kind of familiar now. We talk about co-working, we talk about co-living. So why wouldn't you talk about co-investing? You know, so you it's it's what we're saying is you can co-own a property together with people you know or, or strangers. It doesn't really matter. It's all done through our process, through a block through the blockchain. It offers smart contracts as well. So there's about 45 contracts embedded into our system, which means it's almost like going online and, you know, ordering a credit card, putting your details in. But that means we expedite the KYC and AML, so the know your client and anti-money laundering process. I mean, our system's so sophisticated and, and when it's based in Dubai, you know, we've even included a Sharia compliance component to our process. So when we talk, talk about international sensitivities and proclivities, I would even say, then we have included those. So, you know, we can take funds from anywhere in the world in any currency and you can you can see the upside as well 
So for example, not only are you owning that asset, but you're, you're getting a share of the income if you've got a rental or you've got share of cost in terms of management fees, or you've got when you, you exit that property, you can see the upside on the sale. So you can share. So it's very much a shareholding structure. So I, I, the reason I just wanted to interrupt there is because I think sometimes these words, these tech words become an inhibitor to market or adoption. Com- completely agree. Because when completely you say words like fractionalization, people go, oh, what the, I don't know what that is. You know, that, that sounds like a big word that, you know, and it's got a Z in that must be terrifying. You know, it's Americanized, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And people get really nervous and freaked out. And it's like, oh, mm. tech people and Web3, and I, I don't even know what Web2 is. You know, you know, it's like I need to get my kid to help me get online. So um, so when we start using these big words, I just want to say that it's really something that we actually are familiar with. We understand shared ownership. We understand co-investment. We understand shared structures. So all we're doing is what I think the, the, the real rationality for this here is that banks we cannot trust banks. I'm sorry, but I'm like, I don't, I don't care if you work for a bank or not. You can't trust a bank. I mean, we bailed out how many of them. And the, frankly, we're paying them a lot of money to fail and then to bail them out again. Whereas what a blockchain offers you is a secure environment that's essentially unhackable. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> it's always famous last words, right? But you know, it's essentially unhackable because a digital ledger, and this is what Punnett was getting to, is a digital ledger which is what a blockchain is. So when we talk about a blockchain, I'm just, again, that's another one of those words that scares people, right? What is blockchain? Blockchain is a digital ledger. So if you think of it like an Excel spreadsheet of money in and money out, like two columns, but that digital ledger is spread according to every computer in that ecosystem. So I can see what you're doing and you can see what I'm doing. So there's, and we all have to approve in, on a technical level, we are all approving every transaction. So whereas now, if I put money into a and other bank, I give them my money. And if they shut down tomorrow, I can't get my money out. So whereas in a digital ledger, that is not possible, right? So, and also you can, t- what the true value here is, is that it's instantaneous. It's, the contracts are automatic. So we get rid of all the legal delays. Um, we where we can take money from anywhere in any currency. You can also withdraw money in any currency. So you can put it in in yen and take it out in euro, or you can put it in in dollar and take it out in dirham. So you know that that if you think about how much banks can charge up to twenty percent for currency conversions on that basis. So we're we're really eliminating that. So it's an open source. It's it's it's, it's safe. It's you, you control your money rather than your bank controlling your money. It's your own bank. It's creating your own bank and you are in control of your own investments and it creates liquidity in the market so you can actually go. Whereas the problem with something like shared ownership with the government is essentially you're stuck, right? You can't exit that relationship. That's It's like a bad marriage, right? You're just stuck there and no, there's no divorce lawyer. So whereas in a blockchain, you sell your shares to that asset and the asset doesn't devalue because if the property is worth a million quid, whether you own it or you don't own it, it's still worth a million quid. So you sell your hundred thousand pound asset and you can sell it for 50,000. That's, that would be stupid. You can sell it for 200,000. That's great for you not great for the buyer, but it's still only worth a hundred thousand because that's what the property is worth. And that's what that piece of shareholding is worth. So, and, and the difference between this and crypto is that crypto Crypto has kind of got such a bad reputation right now. And that's unfortunate because crypto isn't backed 
necessarily by something. But what we're saying in the tokenization component, so this is what tokenization means, that's the other Z word. <laughs> okay, the tokenization is the fact that we're saying we're taking a real world asset and we're creating an NFT or um you know you can you can make it into a crypto, but that crypto that coin, that coin is actually got a real world value. Unlike a crypto coin where there doesn't it doesn't have anything backing it, right? So in this instance, the, the tokenization of it is we're saying this coin, this this brick coin is worth whatever that property is worth. So you don't have the fluctuations that you have with crypto. It's a solid coin. It's what we call a stable coin. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to kind of clarify that. And I can see that Punit's back now, so he can carry on. But I just wanted to like take some of the fear out of the language because yeah. I think that's the biggest component. That's the biggest barrier to entry. Exactly. So as, as Michelle rightly mentioned, when you talk about uh, blockchain or tokenization in two simple words is in real life, you have an underlying asset. So when you talk about real world as an example, you have a particular shareholding in that particular property. So in real world, this is kind of a company where you own a kind of shares and that shares ultimately are percentage of ownership. So that is backed up by a land deed or a share purchase agreement because each property can be a particular SPV. And in the tokenization world, in the metaverse economy, where people talk about interestingly metaverse and blockchain, this is more like a fungible token. Now, this particular fungible token is sliced into fractional NFTs. So ultimately, you are securitizing an asset, which is an underlying asset, which is in simple English will be pledging an asset, securitizing it. And in the blockchain world, it's a fractional NFT of that particular ownership on what you have. Now, this real world asset can either be a real estate property or even your aspiration to buy a yacht or an aircraft or a Patek 5711, which is rare, the green now, one. Now we're talking. And, <laughs> so you basically can even buy that. And you know what are the rewards? Because you are a particular investor in this, the utility around it or the rewards can be wearing a watch for once a week in a year or using your yacht for two days a year or even getting dividends because you know what? Your property has been rented to someone and you basically get rental yields. So in a, in, in a real world example, this is like dividend distribution among the shareholders. And that's exactly where you get rewards not only from a perspective of property appreciating or depreciating, but also from a fact that you end up making money based on the shareholding liquidity on what you have actually invested in. So it's really, I mean, I think this is super exciting because actually what, what one of the things I said to one of the developers, one of the big UK developers, I won't say which one, but, um, <laughs> but one, one of them said to me, the other, we spoke to them the other day and I said, look, we're not selling you to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. We're not saying throw away your banks. We're not saying throw away your current you know, strategies, but what we're saying is we're offering you an opportunity to kind of alongside run parallel to your existing systems, a new opportunity to actually acquire new buyers. So 
what you have at the moment is essentially, especially if you think about the London market, which is so heated, right? So even middle income people now are battling to get a mortgage because even if the property value isn't increasing, the the price of the the mortgage is so high that they are they are limiting their their access to market is limited. So we're seeing an increase in demand for rentals, which is putting pressure on the rental market. But we're seeing uh, we're seeing a problem in access to to purchase right now, not just in lower income, but in middle income families. So what we're saying is, well, maybe you can't afford to buy it on your own, but let's put three nurses together or five nurses together and let them buy a property together or a family. So if you've got a couple of brothers and sisters or you've got, you know, a larger family or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, or you can do it as a company and, and you've got better access to market. So I think what we're, what we're saying is we're saying to, to big developers is we're actually giving you new buyers. We're giving you an opportunity. So instead of only looking at the top 1% of the market, because that's the only people who can afford your product, we're saying, well, there are other people who want to get in on this. And they're not just in London. They might be in Nigeria. They might be in Mexico. They might be, in fact, they're definitely in China. So how are you accessing that market? And, the, you know, the traditional method of go and hire a room at the Four Seasons in, in, in Hong Kong, those days are gone. So and also, even when you're there, you're going to spend half your time doing the KYC and AML with your solicitors. So it seems like a complete waste of your, 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 your time and your cost base. So we're saying, what we're saying is like, well, why wouldn't you open your market to new, new buyers? And you know, the, 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 the access point to market, the entry point to market here is so cheap comparative to other methods of sales. But this is not just about the exit values on your real estate, because Selling your property is one thing. Getting your investors into your property is the is the other challenge, right? So we can, through our system, manage your investors. So if you're a REIT, a real estate investment trust, or any kind of investment which most real estate requires, so whether you're a small developer or a large-scale developer, we can use our blockchain to manage your investors as well. So you can manage the, their income into your business you can follow through the digital ledger because, again, let's not overcomplicate the words, but that's what that's what we're doing here. We're digitizing the ledger, right? So through this digital ledger, everyone can see in very transparent. Now, that's that's a word not every real estate developer likes, but <laughs> it is a transparent system. So, um, so you can see and your investors can track their investment. So it just, it streamlines the process. It gives clarity to the, to the system. It's transparent to everyone, but you can manage your money in and your money, manage your, your sales on the exit. So, and, and that can continue through a rental portfolio as well, et cetera, et cetera. So what you're doing is, is creating a digitized bank, like I say, so you can manage your financial transactions on this blockchain. You've got the contracts embedded in there already. So it's a streamlined system with an opportunity to create a new market. So to me, it's like, it's such a no brainer, but I think what, like I said to you, the, the barrier here to entry is the, the will to change or adopt or adopt new things that are, can seem frightening, especially when the words are so unfamiliar, but also to, but when you recognize the upside. So if you've got a scheme, you know, London is full of regeneration programs from King's cross down to elephant and castle, um, uh, brain, Brainford, you know, they're just like, or Thames City, there are so many areas of gentrification, frankly. I know that's a, that's a bad word these days, but it, you know, that's what it is. But instead of pushing communities out, why not engage that community? It would be a hugely positive social message 
for a developer to say, instead of we're pushing people out because they can no longer afford homes that cost two grand a square foot, instead of that, say, well, we'll offer a form of shared ownership by offering it on a in a tokenized and dig- and um, fractionalized ownership method. So we can include the community rather than extricate the communi- community. And so I think that becomes a really interesting social dynamic. Like I say, we are democratizing real estate investment or any investment. But mm. so, so you can also intake that in terms of who comes into your business. So if you're a developer and you're trying, you know, instead of going around with your, like Oliver Twist going arms, you know, arms for the poor and, and trying to get one one investment investment company like BlackRock or Blackstone or one of the other big companies to give you all the money for your development, you could go to say ten smaller smaller investors, kind of almost like a crowdfunding mechanism, um, and and you can you can then manage your investors, their money in and their money out in a very transparent and sustainable way. So I think there's so many. Can, I, can I jump in there quickly, Michelle? Yeah. And and. So I think that is like incredibly insightful and powerful and it's almost talking around how you can extract more purchasing power from communities and giving them access to almost institutional level investments that they've never had before. But on the flip side of this, can you also still leverage access to debt in that if you were still wanted to partner with the bank, let's say you've got a really good partnership and you were going through this process, they would typically just, when you're fractionalizing the asset, if they're using debt, they will still take just their percentage of debt that they've put in, in terms of their fractionalized element. So if we go back to your um, example of a million pounds, if we were to, and, and Jordan and I were buying that, but we were using debt, in the traditional sense, it would be a 70% debt, 30% equity um, input. So if we were to still use that, but in this new modern approach and, and very innovative approach, the debt provider would just take seven of the 10 tokens and we would take three. Is that how it would work? So you could still you use you could still use debt, rather whether it's coming from 50 community members or one bank, for example. 100%. So we're not we're not removing them from the market. So this technically wouldn't be um, yeah, getting rid of them. We're just empowering more people, giving more access to more investors. So That's right. Exactly right. And, and it's incredibly that, powerful. And it's a tool for them. Yeah. And also you can you can adjust your LTV accordingly because what you can say is instead of on a certain yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 split, because you could maybe raise, you know, of your 30, let's say, you know, even you know, we forget that to raise 30% of of the hundred is no small small thing. That's to write that check yourself no, is a lot yeah. of money, um, and you know, especially when you're a small to medium sized developer and you're not sitting with you know millions in the bank, so or billions, uh, you know. So when to write that first thirty percent, but maybe you've got I don't know, maybe you play rugby and you've got a bunch of rugby lads, you know, and they all go right. We'll put in ten k each or whatever, you know, or whatever, and so you suddenly got. 12 guys or however many guys and they all want to put in 10k and suddenly that takes let's say 10% of your 30%. So that's that can help you in that process as well. So you know I think you're not eliminate that's what I want to be very clear about and I know that's again whenever we talk about anything new we in our sector we're always scared we're losing something as opposed to gaining something. This is not you're not losing anything that you already know. This is a parallel 
concept that will generate new revenue, new buyers, and a new platform of investors for you. It's a, it, when you understand it, it's really a no-brainer because it doesn't cost you anything in the sense of you don't lose anything that's pre-existing. You're just simply adding like a bolt-on. You're bolting on something else that's going to create a new market for you and a new, a new opportunities. But I think what's particularly, you know, the kind of the killer app, as they like to say in tech, the killer application here is the liquidity. Because you know that that's always been the problem in our sector is that once you stick your money into a project, that could be a 5, 10, 20 year commitment, depending on the lifespan of that project. Um, and there's a number of delays that can occur in that process that are beyond your control. Whereas the liquidity of you, because it's a shareholding, you can extricate your shares at any point. So again, that's just a really interesting killer application. And the second component is the is the is the smart contracts. Um, Puna, do you want to say something about the smart contracts? Because I know that's something that you're very passionate about. Absolutely. Just to quickly add another two points, I'll give you actually a real life use case, but prior to that, so the also the most important thing which uh, everyone has to understand is this particular property still is held by the real estate developer. It's not like going to our ecosystem and then there is a big security error or security fear, right? So from a customer, when you talk about securitizing a particular instrument, we are not healthy holding that particular asset in our own ecosystem. We have so this still held at land registry, for example. Or it is held at a neutral omnibus account with a bank, which is licensed or with an actual real estate developer. So the property still is owned by this particular developer. In full, simple uh, example, let's say there is a real estate developer X and he wants to say, you know what, these are the five properties which I want to tokenize and sell it to individual investors in a fractionalized manner. These five properties will have five different SPVs, which will still be 100% owned by the real estate developer. So it's not like he has to transfer the ownership to fraction or Blackgate. It still is held by him. The ownership only happens when the project is 100% funded. Now, to your example, it can be 70% funded by a particular bank as a deposit token or deposits or debt and 70-30% by someone else. But this is a very, very important point to consider where the essence or the crux of this is not by shifting a property or particular property or a property a platform, but it still is held by the particular owner of the, the actual owner, the principal. And then once the property is 100% funded, that's where the ownership changes to the actual investors. We are just an intermediary riding the technology and facilitating this entire ecosystem of blockchain. You see what I mean? There's a major difference where you say, you know what, keep the property with me and then I will sell it. It's not like that. We are a pass through making sure that we provide and facilitate the technology. It can be also white labeled for that particular developer, or it can be an instrument as well, which can be a joint venture. Now, that's one point which I wanted to also add to the existing uh, things which Michelle talked, spoke about. A very, very interesting uh, use case. You know, I had a bunch of Gen Z when we were doing a, a bit of research and uh, 
they all have an aspiration to to buy a property now of, of course everyone wants to make an extra money right uh, especially with when you talk about a 24 25 year old gen z or millennials uh, uh, so they basically said you know what we have 50 uh, people 50 friends in this entire uh, ecosystem and we want to invest in a property uh, in goa or in a property where we can give this on airbnb how cool will it be imagine you have a real estate developer and he has five properties and he says you know come guys buy and invest and just give it on airbnb you know you immediately can even go there actually to stay and more importantly even make extra money how cool that will be in terms of marketing strategy for real estate developers right where a particular feels the sense of ownership not only a sense of ownership but also makes money because they feel proud about their particular property and they have airbnb it and i think you know if you take that further with the gen z um component what i foresee and again we're not there yet but i'm i'm thinking in the next 6 months we'll see this is kind of tiktok communities and snapchat communities start to form their own funds so, uh, you know, we're seeing musicians already doing this where they're selling their portfolios of music um, to their community. So they don't want to sell it to a fund. So people like Rihanna will sell their music for, say, 200 million in their portfolio of music. But what they want to do is they want to sell it to fans. They don't want to sell it to a fund. So they, they create a tokenization. In to that's what they've done. They've tokenized it. They've created essentially a digital ledger of their assets and then fractionalize the ownership so that it can be bought by fans. Now, where this becomes incredibly interesting in the UK is football teams. So one of the things I'm very keen to, and I'd be very keen to talk to any football clubs, I'll just do a little pitch here. <laughs> if you are a football team or a rugby team or any sports team for that matter, please call me. Um, because essentially what I believe is that you know, we've seen what um, Ryan Reynolds has done with Wrexham, for example, and that's been really wonderful to see what he's done with that team. But I think there's a lot of disenfranchisement in the bigger kind of bigger English football teams um, where they've been bought by teams like they've, they've been bought by countries like Saudi Arabia or Qatar. And there's a little bit of kind of friction between the ownership and the fans. Um, and so what we want to see is we want fans to have the opportunity to, to buy into their own clubs. So we can do this really easily. We can, by using a blockchain, we can create a digital ledger. And so, you know, I, I especially think of smaller clubs where they may be battling financially, but, and so maybe they don't appeal to the likes of the Saudi royal family, but they, they, have, a, they have a loyal fan base. And that fan base will very happily want to be an active contributor and investor in their team. And so perhaps you kind of, and again, you know, if you're, if you're talking about a, a kind of more working class based team, they don't have millions to buy the entire team, but they may be prepared to put 5,000 pounds in. And then they are, and so, and that just solidifies their, their engagement with their team as well. So you're not just buying the football jersey, you're actually a, literally an investor in your football team. So if you want to maintain your relationship with your community, I think this for any sports team becomes a very interesting mechanism. So if you're looking to fundraise, to take your team to the next level, you can tokenize your team and fractionalize the ownership and actually use your existing fan base to invest into your, into your club. 
And I, don't, I think, you know, the, the, the automatic teams that come to mind are things like Crystal Palace, um, which are kind of small, small, they're not small, they're, they're successful teams, but they're very much community type teams. Um, and it very much like what Wrexham did, but instead of, instead of it having a mega celebrity from Hollywood, wouldn't it be amazing if the local community actually was the investors as well as the fan base? So, you know, this becomes really, and so we can do this in entertainment, we can do this in sports, you can do this in anything. And so you'll see more and more this become the mechanism that is used in um, talent management. I think interestingly as well, you just touched on community and actually the ownership of community on assets, whatever whatever that asset is, is actually a massive play around social good. And actually, obviously, you would know Michelle and, and Punit as well in, in just how divisive some developments can be to local communities and actually giving back part of that to a community through this this method, I think, would be hugely beneficial in the, the kind of the brackets of, of the S in ESG and how it can be, be mentioned. I'm mindful of time, I really wanted to just go back to ask you both around carbon credits. Um, now we're seeing you know, the, the journey to net zero uh, is, is hugely convoluted and it's, it's quite opaque at the moment in terms of a true, true definition. But something we are seeing and something I think is widely understood is just the role that offsetting will have or, 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 or crediting with um, carbon elsewhere and offsetting. I think that that's going to have a huge play in how we get to that. Um, it'd be really useful to, to hear from you both how, how that, you know, the application of what you're seeing in tokenization and, and fractionalization would work there. Well, again, I think I'll, I'll give you a headline and then Punit can talk to you about the detail. Um, I think that the kind of net zero um, agenda is critical in our business. You know, I don't care which developer it is. That's kind of almost like a number one agenda. That and wellness, I think. You know, those are the two things everybody wants to focus on is net zero. And um, we have a solution. So, Puna, do you want to talk through the carbon bank component? Absolutely. So, so obviously, uh, you know, there are two types of uh, carbon markets, right? One is a compl uh, compliant market and the other one is the voluntary carbon market. Now, when you think of a small business, right, and who basically says, I can sequester up to 50 tons of uh, carbon and uh, this can be used by a particular emitter. This particular guy who can sequester up to 50 tons, if he starts going to a particular voluntary carbon registry, including the likes of uh, Vera or Gold Standard or any other registries, it's a nightmare. It, it involves six months of process even to register, put your uh, project plan, and it requires a lot of money even to get this offset. That's where we really saw a big problem. And we wanted to create an ecosystem where we do self-verification. Now, in a voluntary market, with the use of AI machine learning and, and the data sets by the UNHCCs and the Modis of the world, you can essentially say that this much carbon can be sequestered from this particular polygon. And that's where, you know, an ecosystem for converter can come into play. You're talking about a 92% unstructured market, right? 8% are the ones who actually go to Vera and the gold standard likes, go there and basically get a certificate. And that certificate is still lying there because, you know, ultimately you've just given the carbon credits to the world but you've not connected to the emitters. And that's where the biggest pain point is. So we've actually created three things. The first thing, as I said, about focusing on the unstructured market, 
on the ESG parameters by creating a self-verification algorithm purely based on blockchain, purely based on AI machine learning, giving this particular guy that how much carbon he's sequestrated. That's basically defined as an NPP, the productivity part. And from an emitter ecosystem, what is very important, you know, when you basically do sin in the world by releasing carbon from your factories or industries or even as an individual, you definitely have a green goal, right, for the environment because where you're living is a big uh, problem of sustainability. Now, that's where we have created an ecosystem for calculating the emissions, which has close to 147 parameters. Now, what is interesting is you'll see a lot of companies talking about calculators, but what is important is the accuracy of this, right? So we've actually created an emitter ecosystem for individuals an ecosystem for businesses, irrespective of what business line he has, which country he is, he basically can completely understand how much he's emitting today as a company or as an individual, how much he's basically emitting as an individual by using his fancy eight-cylinder car or using his fancy stuff, right? And obviously, then you're talking about an ecosystem where you match make, where you say, you know what? Hey, converters, you are still unstructured. I'm happy to take your carbon. Uh, credits and hey emitters i know you've emitted this much i'm happy to supply this particular carbon tokens all of this is completely on blockchain because the biggest problem last year what happened was 90 percent of credits which were from the vera ecosystem were phantom credits now when you say that you know what hey guys i'm about i'm basically sequestrating 50,000 tons and if it is phantom credit, you're basically just making money. But with the use of blockchain and tokenization, you basically make this goal come true because there is a lot of transparency on the blockchain and the entire ecosystem can be easily trackable. So long story short, the carbon bank ecosystem talks about an emitter who basically emits, either it can be an individual or a business, and a converter who basically wants to convert and it doesn't want to go through a full process of uh, registry. You match make that and ultimately give or sell in an exchange, which is your own exchange, a carbon token, which is equivalent to a stable coin of each ton of carbon dioxide. And that's the entire ecosystem, what we have created. To also answer you quickly, when you talk about an individual, what is very important is the individual says, I am emitting close to, let's say, 50, uh, to, to make it more simple, 0 0.5 tons of carbon dioxide every year. We've actually created a special type of tree, bamboo gen, which basically can sequestrate up to 500 kilograms. So this particular individual can actually plant a bamboo tree with us. And we basically give him a guarantee that he's thinking on a net zero goal. And the last thing which will be very, very interesting is we also participated in a project where we are creating a green highway by planting the amount of trees and creating a net zero highway as well. So a lot of things has been happening on the carbon ecosystem, but the main focus which we are focusing is to focus on the net zero goals by using the advent of blockchain and tokenization and smart contracts and making this happen. The transparency is so critical because I think, you know, the whole carbon credit component has been very 
vague to date um, and how you can track it. And the and, and as Punit rightly said, the kind of 90% phantom credit is a real concern. Whereas the blockchain, it's, you know, the fundamentals of blockchain is, is transparency. So, you know, if you want to create fraudulent credit, then this probably isn't for you. But if you want to do something legitimate and actually want to really save the planet, then this yeah. is probably the only mechanism that available. And, you know, one of the things we've done is that you can turn your carbon credit into actual money. So, like, you, it's it's not just a, oh, a nice to have. This is actual credit. So, Pune, do you want to just talk about that a little bit as well? So this is this is where you know you create an ecosystem of a buyer and a seller in a very simple ecosystem where you're not only helping from an environmental perspective but also giving them an access by giving them a unique wallet which is very simple see the problem in web3 world uh, is it's not simple right it's not like creating a metamask wallet for an audience which doesn't even know how to create an exchange uh, user ID password or how to actually create a, a, a user on an exchange. You just want to simplify his life by giving him a very, very simple and stupid dashboard, making the experience so simple that all the things behind that works on smart contracts, talking to each other, making it interoperable, creation of ledgers, debit credits and all of that. But the more simple user experience you give to a particular user, the acceptance is better. So as Michelle rightly mentioned, when you talk about the carbon world by phantom credits and you talk about a market where a particular business wants to sequestrate or wants to claim his carbon credits, it becomes absolutely difficult. With our ecosystem, this is all real time. And with all the parameters what we have built in the smart contracts, which talk to each other, we want to impact a pretty much well underserved market globally, right? Not only in the emerging markets, but it's a global problem. And when you talk about sustainable finance and ESG impact, not only from a real estate perspective, but in general, when you talk about a creation and a distribution angle, wherever you see a creation and a distribution angle, that's really where a full ecosystem on sustainability is impacted. And that's what we really want to solve. Using and, and and the thing is, you know, I, I, what what appeals to me in this is that this can be applied. So imagine if you have a, a build to rent scheme, and you could actually apply the carbon bank to every tenant's dashboard. So you know, most most large scale build to rents now have an app, for example, that they run their tenants in every every all their tenant engagement on. Yeah, absolutely. We can, we can plug our carbon bank into that, so everyone can actually monitor. So again, it's about the bolt-on concept. We can just bolt on to your existing platform, so we can integrate our system. So you're, you know, you're, you're which, literal. Which is key yeah. for adoption, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then to put its point there, you know, again, I'll just kind of simplify the language of what a DEX is and all that. So it's, it's basically what what we're talking about is, so MetaMask is essentially, if you think of it, like your ID, right? It's like your bank, your sort code, and your account number. Think of it like that. So you need to have a, a MetaMask account to access a lot of systems So when it comes to a digital ledger. What we're saying is that this becomes, a, again, a, a block to your adoption because it's too complex. So what we're said is that people, even though they built up the credit, they don't know how to access the credit because they don't know 
the, the whole the, the whole point of access seems too challenging. But what we can do is we can just bolt it onto existing platforms. And so, so again, if you're like a landowner and you've got a built terrain product and you've got tenants that you're managing, you can actually, you know, in, in an increasingly um, sensitive community who cares about these things, who cares about their carbon footprint, you can actually monitor it on a dashboard. Like you would in your app, you would monitor the cleaning of your building or if your washing machine goes down and you can apply for your maintenance, you know, you can also see your carbon, your carbon credits and manage it through that portal. So, you know, to me, it's, we should be talking to other uh, prop tech companies who want to offer this. So if you're someone again, like Barclay Homes or, um, or Europa Capital or, or one of these companies who has a big, you know, or a built to rent portfolio, why wouldn't you? have this carbon bank component um, built into your system. So, so we're, we're offering that solution and it's, it's a real world, you know, we can show you where the, where like in Ras Al Karma, we've got these, like um, Punit mentioned, we've got these, um, the bamboo uh, farms essentially um, where we're capturing carbon. There's, there's, you can actually, you can look, you can see where it's going, you know, it's kind of, you, you actually know where you're, what's happening and you know where your carbon's being offset. And like I said, there's actually a credit component. So, you know, just I just want to touch on the one final bit of this whole puzzle that we've mentioned, and it goes across the carbon bank and across the kind of real estate transactional component. And that's the final piece of the puzzle is that what we we will be offering we, is um, essentially you'll have like a Blackgate credit card, if you think of it, where you can take what was the digital ledger, your your kind of digital sphere, your ecosystem, as Punit refers to it, is that when you're making money on, say, your rental of your property, you can use your Blackgate credit card and go to Starbucks and buy your your coffee with the money. So it's whilst it feels it's because so, and the reason I mention that is because again, it's about what what scares us. What scares us is I don't I understand a credit card or a debit card, right? I don't understand a crypto account. And like, how do I apply that in real world? What we're saying is you can go into Starbucks in Beijing or in New York, and you can use your income from your asset, your real estate asset, or your carbon credit, and you can use a Blackgate card, and you can buy your Starbucks with that money in any currency anywhere in the world. So is there there's a real world it's not just it's not like i high in the sky it's not just a crypto thing and you're like oh what does that even mean this is real world money in in any market it's in your pocket it's and you can access it and you can control it you see where it is you manage it you are your own bank manager and so and this goes across and this includes the carbon credits so as which you i think is the most important powerful because yeah. Because I think that's, and that's where we talk about these phantom credits, which is like, you get credit. What, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means because what credit do you get? I don't, I've never seen the credit. Have you seen credit? I haven't seen credit, but actually what we're saying is there is credit. There is actual credit and you can, it's bankable. It's bankable cash. So, you know, let's, let's like, I think there's, why wouldn't you want that? I just don't understand. To me, it's like a, it's a no brainer. And so what we're saying is that, you can, you can get, you can uh, invest at any value into any fixed asset or any entertainment asset or, you know, anything that's got a real world value. You can then tokenize that. 
you can fractionalize that ownership so you can dissect it into smaller components. And then you can also add onto that, you've also got the ESG component of a carbon bank, and then you can go out and use that money anywhere, anytime to buy anything. So we're basically eliminating essentially the need for a big bank because you can control your own money. It's transparent, it's safe, it's liquid, and it's a bolt-on to an existing format that you already have. So you're not replacing anything. You can replace it. You can obviously replace your entire system with this, but you know you can kind of phase it in as well, or you can take it. You can, your adoption isn't an all or nothing. You can just take it bits, bits of it. Um, but the carbon bank is a killer app again because it really it's a real world application to a real world problem in the carbon banking world, which is that final part, which is turning it into real, going from phantom to real, real credit. There's a lot, lot to unpick and digest there. I didn't call you the dynamic duo for nothing. That's um, an incredible episode. I think I'll just recap my favorite quote was uh, right at the beginning, actually, where you said it's it brings you greater greater access for anyone, anywhere, in any currency. I love that. That's That's amazing. So our last question usually is, do you have any advice where you see the real estate industry going? But I don't think we even need to ask that because we've basically just spoken about where the real estate industry is going for 62 minutes. So that that, that just blown my mind. Um, I, I don't think it's possible to have captured that um, in one episode. I think we're going to have to have a follow-up episode as this progresses and evolves because it's, yes, it's imminently clear what's happening and where this is going and how we're going to speed up transaction and access to these opportunities across the globe, which is, which is amazing. So my final um, sign off for you both is where can people get in contact with you? Um, What's the best place to get in contact with you? If they have any follow-up questions. So um, they can LinkedIn me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So it's Michelle de Havilland on LinkedIn, or you can go onto the website, which is uh, black-gate.co.uk, um, or you can email me, it's Michelle VV, so M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-V-V at black-gate.co.uk, um, and we can we can arrange a meeting, we can you can WhatsApp me, you can, you know, in this world, we there's just, there's no, no barriers to contact, so Google me, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> TikTok me. Yeah, it's, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm. I'm not that woke. But you know, and so, and if you want on the tech side, uh, put it. Can t- put it. You. You tell them your your details. Absolutely. So I'm. I'm very active on LinkedIn, as Michelle is as well. So they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I have all the details on my LinkedIn. So they can directly reach out to me on LinkedIn and find all my contacts there. Uh, it's Puneet, and the second name is Tucker. I will leave everyone's contact details in the uh, in the show notes. But what an amazing episode has blown our minds. So thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you so much. much. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you so much for taking time to chat with us today. We're very really grateful. Thank you for listening to the ESG in Property podcast. If you liked our content, please like, comment, share, follow, and get in touch as we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ESG real estate service requirements, 
please feel free to contact us at www.lifegrooven.co.uk. Till next time. <laughs>